Apostle Paul had come to Christ on the Damascus Road is a miraculous conversion. He was the least likely to get saved in the culture of his day. In fact, he was a persecutor of the church. He was standing there as a witness to Stephen's martyrdom, the first recorded martyrdom. One who followed Jesus Christ was put to death because of his testimony of Christ. And it was the Apostle Paul who thought, with the best of intentions, that quite frankly, he was also on a holy call, doing what is right for his faith, that this was a heretic kind of uh, phenomenon that was occurring, a revolution in his day, and he was out to stamp it out. In fact, as time progressed as a persecutor of the church, which would bring Christians, all of me seeing them in prison, many of them put to death, Paul was on route, quite frankly, uh, to fulfill another uh, journey in, in killing and persecuting Christians. It was on route, you know the story. On the Damascus Road, he met his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His conversion was so radical, many did not believe it. Maybe he was going operative, underground, special forces, infiltrating believers so that he could better persecute them. And so there was a great mistrust. But many believers, several key pillars of the faith at the time, took Paul under the ring, under their wing and lent the, Paul their own credentials. Trust me. Paul is truly a born-again Christian. He began to grow in his faith. Ultimately, he merged as much as the enemy of Christ that he was before. He became a champion for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he himself would experience tremendous persecution. While the church was being formed there in Jerusalem, it became very obvious that Paul, who was once a persecutor, is now becoming a pillar of the faith. And Barnabas, who... And many times was listed as the first one, which would have a preeminence, the predominant one. The one who would be the senior pastor, if I could suggest that. And though Paul's calling was equal, his position was subordinate by the way in which his name was always listed second. But here later we would see Paul's name would be listed first. But the Holy Spirit showed up one day and interrupted a very well organized, structured, and I have no doubt in my mind, a vision for the church of Jerusalem that thought, we are going to have some great days ahead. Look who God has given us as leaders. we got the best pastor in the world, the church planner, the Apostle Paul. Everybody knows about him. He who persecuted the church now is a leader in our church. And so I often wondered what those early services must have been like in that environment of revival. Those many still living uh, in the day that Jesus Christ uh, walked the earth and when he was put to death and rose from the dead, maybe there would be some of that 500 plus, some say as many as 5,000, who actually seen those bodies rise from the dead, uh, pronouncing and affirming that Jesus was the resurrected Lord and God of very God. And Can you imagine attending the church service in Jerusalem, sitting among some others? They didn't have pews back then, by the way. And uh, if they did, I'm sure they'd be padded. But uh, can you imagine sitting in a service as you're interacting and you've got a friend over there and says, Oh, yes, we, my, we had a funeral a week ago and my aunt rose from the dead on the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. There was an electricity that was a, such a supernatural phenomenon of the day that when they came together, it was not a temptation like we have today to kind of be bored and flat and business as usual and sing the way we've always sung and even kind of worship the building and et cetera, et cetera. There was an enthusiasm that transcends even modern definition. 
And in the midst of this pinnacle, the crescendo of spiritual revivalism that happened as a result of the Messiah having been born, lived, died, risen, followers of Jesus Christ were now organizing themselves. And God speaks. Boy, this is a powerful passage because we're talking about let us begin. This is, this is kind of scary, quite frankly. Because certainly God would not disrupt this good thing that we're on. Certainly he wouldn't do that. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. going to be five of them we're going to list. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, can you imagine how dare the church interrupt a worship service? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them as their helper. It'd be like today, Andrew, if I, and I'm stretching this, it'd be like Andrew and I announcing to you today that I got a call from Dr. Randy Smith, who has a special need uh, in Kenya, Africa. A new center for revitalizing churches there and uh, a total uh, area that's not heard the gospel there has uh, made a phone call and Andrew and I have been interacting and we feel that God has led us to announce on this day that God has called Andrew and I and our families to go to Kenya, Africa and spend the rest of our lives there reaching and evangelizing and discipling and building churches. I would like to think that if such a, a announcement was made, that there would be from the hearts of every believer, especially, obviously, the spiritual believers, that God has done this thing. Now, I'm not making such an announcement today, so if Beth was in the service, I'll, I may or may not use that illustration in the third service today, Andrew. But uh, I would like to, just so you can get a sense that the church was en route They were coming almost to that syndrome of living happily ever after. They can't get any better than this. And right in the middle of that pinnacle, the crescendo of spiritual experience, God said, we're going to close this door from Paul and Barnabas. And in closing this door, we're going to open another door. It's called a transition. I was staying on the sidewalk and... um, on Ashland Avenue in Lexington, Kentucky. Dennis Luger was standing beside me on the sidewalk there, and we had just said our farewells, anticipating um, uh, this colleague of ours, a mutual friend, a a fellow uh, minister of the gospel, of their leaving. They came for, oh, several years, and now we're leaving us to go to the field. Dennis himself was a veteran uh, missionary to China and had left that ministry to come and serve with me as a coordinator of missions in our small Bible college there in Lexington. As we stood there, there was a moment of silence. Now, he's an outspoken and a verbal person himself as well as I, so if any outside observer says, 
I've never seen those two guys that quiet that long in my entire life. But we stood there in silence as we watched our friend that we had just prayed for, his wife and family, in their minivan with everything that they own, go to the very next stop sign, turn left, and we saw them drive right out of sight. We stood there for a moment, not really thinking about the obligation of saying anything or uh, whatsoever. And then finally, my dear veteran missionary, veteran missionary, Dennis Luger said, and that's life. There's entrances and there are exits. There's endings and there's beginnings. And I was thinking about this in preparation several weeks ago when I asked the Lord, give me wisdom about what kind of message, Lord, would you be honored in hearing and presenting at Corinth Baptist Church. And I just reflected. The little child that's living at home, some of your your grandchildren, we have a few that's young enough. We have that wonderful, happily ever after, almost euphoric uh, feeling. Nothing any better, especially if they're well behaved and they slept well and allow us to sleep. By the way, I promise you, if the the wind blows out the electricity, uh, we'll open the windows and I'll keep talking. Nobody will doubt that in this room at all. Um, But uh, then there's that time where And you remember those moments. I remember them. I reflected on, oh, about 42 messages ago as I was looking down through my series of times with you where my oldest, who is now 37, sat on his little metal mailbox right in front of our house and there was a closing of of the day for that moment, an experience of having uh, Becky birthing Jeremy and then having him all those years in our home. And now all of a sudden, that wicked old yellow school bus is picking him up. We've already practiced getting on the bus and all the things, but the day it actually arrived, and I remember he was so pumped and excited, exiting now the prison at home, <laughs> getting on that excitement of the school bus. But who was slobbering back home because of this transition, an ending and a beginning? Mom and Dad. For Jeremy, and this happens to all of us, it really begins to get very pronounced, and life is life is filled with these. And then after five years depart, the nurturing environment in the elementary school, we exit the secure middle school to regions unknown called high school. You remember those if you have children. Man, there's nothing more glorious than that eighth grade. Now all of a sudden, ask an eighth grader a day before school's out what grade are you in, and he'll tell you exits and entrances. I'm going in the ninth grade. In fact, I've been saying that since Christmas. Ask any of our kids, what grade are you in? Well, I'm going to be in. Really excited about exiting, except the parents. And then you have that leaving, the, what that uh, study out of the University of Michigan concluded, that most uh, of our formation transpires by your sophomore year in high school. The, uh, the attitude you develop in the formation of, of relationships and friendship development, all, quite honestly, is imprinted upon you by that second or third year in high school. And you find your place. You finally, by the time you're a senior in high school, you accept, I'm not going to be student body president, but I'm really comfortable being this. And there's the illusion of high schoolers that, you know this, there's nothing any more self-centered, egotistical, self-absorbed than a high schooler. Do I get an amen? Yeah, okay. And so then, guess what happens? And I would never rob them. Don't, I probably won't even say that in the third service. 
But they go from the comfort zone of high school. You see it happen. They exit one, what they thought would be something that would last forever, and certainly transfer wherever they go from there into college or maybe a job. That's why local bars are filled with former you know, great athletes and captains of this and leaders of this. In fact, many of our churches, we find folks that were so imprinted by the high school years, they peaked early, and everything after that was downhill. And so they finally get their footing, and maybe they find the woman or the guy of their life, and, and they get married, and now all of a sudden they leave singlehood, and they move to another phase. In other words, life is filled with such transitions, closings. If you're following along in your notes, uh, and if, if you prefer to do that, this is a time when new beginnings are launched by closings. We turn the page, write a new chapter. Closings are part of the spirit-filled life. Know this. There is something about us, and I think it's the Adamic nature, that part of us that resists any change. But do you know that spirit-filled people, like Paul and Barnabas, were led of God to leave what... I'm sure their colleagues came up and said, Man, you got a good thing. Why in the world would you ever... Consider leaving this circumstance and situation right here from Jerusalem Why the world-renowned Paul and Barnabas and what you've dealt with the leadership team here. You actually saw Christ personally. My land, you can affect the entire world here. Why would you ever leave it? I'm sure Mama slipped up close to Paul and Barnabas and brothers and those who had a word from the Lord and was encouraging them. It's so obviously Paul and Barnabas. Why would you ever think about leaving here? But know this, that men and women who walk in the Spirit are led to leave, are led to make a transition. In fact, this is the first day of 2012. It'll be a few years down the road till we have that fall on Sunday again. And I have an announcement for you. Out of my three services today, there will be some that will have the ultimate transition from life to death. There will be some, to the surprising of their parents, actually got a job. They've, they've left dependents. Now all of a sudden, they're self-sufficient. There'll be some that didn't expect to have a baby. Who got pregnant and had a baby all in one year? There'll be a multiplicity of events and circumstances that'll arrive this year that at the end of this year, and I have listed, but I'm, I'm sensitive. This is, I've made some resolutions this year about my time and my sermons to the sheer answered prayer of all my staff and worship team. And we'll see how well I do this morning. I've gone four straight weeks, quite frankly, being on time. Of course, the special teams helped me uh, with their special productions, and I had to throw out all my sermons and stuff to make that happen. But don't you know that as we look at transitions, there's going to be some things that will happen this year, like I have recorded 2011. In the next two services, I'll be highlighting the ten top things that happened. That standing uh, in January of 2011, a year ago, would not have thought about a tsunami or Penn State. Or a guy by the name of Stephen Jobs that ushered in, quite honestly, inventions that almost have now made book reading obsolete. Of the events that happened in Joplin, uh, uh, Missouri and, and Texas that were of uh, uh, such a national impact, thousands have died in national disasters. 
Who would have ever thought the whole region of the Mideast, especially in the Arab area, that there's a reconfiguration happening and that, that some of the tyrants, Bin Laden is dead. So is the guy that's in charge of North Korea, with the 24-year-old son succeeding him. There's a lot of things that happened in one year. And let me just say this. I am certainly not the oldest person in this room, but a serious student of the Scripture and an honest uh, uh, observer of life. You're living in illusion if you think it's going to stay like this. Because life is filled with closings and openings. And those of us who desire to walk in the Spirit rather than initially resist them needs to be open to them. Often closings, if you're following along, are confirmed by mature Spirit-filled believers. I use the word often to select in my words because the three major events that happened in my life, one was marriage. I had people woke me up early in the morning and said, God spoke to us, Zay Jean. I may not tell this when my wife is in the service, but she would confirm it if you ask. I was two or two, three in the morning, and these two dudes woke me up at Bible school and says, God's spoken to us and spoken to Zay Jean. You're the one supposed to marry her. Well, can I just say this to you? My wife today, 40 years marriage, is not named Zay Jean. First of all, what an idiotic name. I rolled back over and I said, now look, I know you guys got the best intentions. And I know your, your motive is pure. But it would seem to me that if God's spoken to you and her, he would also speak to me. So when he speaks to me, I'll wake up. Took the blanket, threw it back over me. I said, meanwhile, get out of my room and let me get back to sleep. But I don't want to misinterpret this text. Because you see a, a dual, dual involvement. You see the Holy Spirit's activity. And by the way, he could, have, he could have chosen, that's enough. In fact, I would prefer, I've already told God, God, if you'll just tell me what you want. I don't want to agonize about the decision, collect the information, get godly advice, etc., etc. Just tell me what you want, and I'll courageously and boldly do it. I've never wrestled with that. Once the will of God is known to me, with reckless abandonment, I'm chasing it big time. My challenge is interpreting it. Is this really God's will? And especially you hear those voices in circumstances and influences. Hear Paul and Barnabas at Jerusalem. He is a resident spiritual, quite honestly, Celebrity, he is still humbled before God, is quite frankly, uh, he's kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> I lost to say it. I'm just telling you, the place is just filled with the power and the results that you could see tangibly. People are getting saved, wild stories are being told, things that you could not humanly explain. It is not logical that God would remove Paul and Barnabas from that situation. But he did. And if you'll notice in my notes, I, I've, I've followed up with this caution. Remember that old, that old uh, black and white science fiction, not well made, by the way. Caution, Will Robinson. Caution must be, taking, must be taken because finishing one journey is essential for beginning another. Finish well and begin well. And here is that tremendous caution. We must be aware of that this is a time when office... Sometimes with the best intentions. And if you've been a Christian a long time, boy, it's, it's like Samson who, after having his hair cut, got up and thought he could do like he had done before. I mean, the worst deception, Harold Wormington says, is self-deception. And 
he had, was so consistent in his walk and, and enjoying the anointing and the power of God, Samson speaking of, that he thought, I'll just do it again. No big deal. And we're like that. If you're not careful, we will assume I'm the Spirit of God, get lazy in our spiritual walk, and we look more to man and maybe even the people we love the most, a spouse, children, fellow church members, and we listen to their advice and we, we disconnect, get out of tune and out of touch with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so there must be a great caution. And that's why this church and these individuals spent time in praying and fasting. Because in that environment they had to deny Everything, those natural desires in their heart to look to God for advice. So caution must be taken. Small opportunities are often the beginning of great enterprises, one author says. All misfortune is but a stepping stone to fortune, Thoreau suggested. Look, look let me ask you this. This is a great survey. I don't know if I will ask this in the other services. How many of you now in reflection, I don't want you to get depressed or overwhelmed with, you know, with excitement. But this time last year, 12 months ago, you're sitting here now reflecting back and say, I know you told a little story about your son sitting on the mailbox, I mean, on this uh, little uh, lunch box and going on the bus. That's cute and sentimental and that's sweet. But the truth of it is, I have my own version of that. I was on a certain direction, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of God came into my life, he may have grabbed you by the nap of the neck or hit you over the head with a spiritual tube before to get your attention saying, your heart says you love me and I'm going to do this and you're going to resist me, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Or it could have been so obvious. How many of you say, I look back over this past year and I have to tell you, I had an exit and I had a new beginning. Let me see your hands. Hold them for just a second. Hold them for just a second. Make you think, hold, hold them up a little higher. Now see, I don't know what all those mean. I wish we had time to just stop because these are your friends and family members sitting in the sanctuary this morning, uh, many raising their hands, a third to a half. And I'm letting you know that it is more typical than not that life is filled with doors that close and doors that open. When do you stop? I think the last door that closes is life itself. Number two, new beginnings have the benefit of history. I like this. Not all the time, but much of the time, you can peek over your shoulder and see those events that, like even what I just did now, and hopefully what I'm attempting to do today, is that I'm I'm putting you on alert one more time that in the next 12 months, expect God to come into your life. And in more cases than not, it'll be such that it will rattle your cage a tad. It will maybe even unnerve uh, those who are closest to you. And even those well-intentioned like Job's closest friends who misinterpreted an exit and a new beginning for Job that was filled with bulls from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, the death of those servants and the loss of all of his wealth. It was logical for those who loved and cared for him, his three closest friends, to say, Hey, dude. Obviously, this entrance and exit is not of God. Be careful. Caution, Will Robinson. Because often these new beginnings, we can look back and say, you know what, I can go back to the dorm there in Arlington, Texas, and recall when Jerry Wisdom and his buddy showed up late to tell me I'm supposed to marry. And I can say over my shoulder, boy, look at other major events. In fact... 
a year ago, I wasn't definitely assured and really didn't think long term the events of the last 12 months of my own personal ministry life would be what they are today. And we got a 90, let's see, I think a 90, was a 96% vote. So there are 4% at least back then who I'm convinced also, I assume, walk in the spirit. They vote their conscience. Probably said, shoot, I was counting on something else. And by the way, sometimes the will of God carries with it a level of disappointment. Nonetheless, the will of God is the will of God. And here we see, look at history, our past victories. You know the passage, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but I take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. No man putting his hands to the plow and looking back. And there's a balance here. The, the continual, perpetual, while you're on a certain journey and just dwelling on the past, Paul's saying that person's not worthy. But what is also assumed here, you're aware of a past. And this is where it's wonderful to see spiritual growth. And by the way, you never get too old. You're not a veteran to the extent you stop growing spiritually. I hope you're still a student. And so as you look at your tenured Christian experience... Of mine, look how God worked in this situation, look in that situation. And if you have to go back three, four, five, six years, in all probability you're not where you should be spiritually. Because a person who's experiencing the ongoing walk with Christ has with great regularity exits and entrances. Doors closed and doors opened. And that in that experience, much of the time you can take a look back and say, God created me in his image. And there seems to be almost a predictable pattern in the way in which he led me. Now, I'm a hard-headed extrovert. Have you noticed that about me? And I've watched my wife, who is not a hard... Well, I'm not going to go that far. She is set in her ways more than she used to be. I promise you I'm not saying that in the third service. But the two of us, it's fascinating to see how God gets a hold of her heart and leads her in the direction for her and how sometimes, me, I do need that too before at times. I prefer a still small voice, but usually I can't hear it. And so God says, hey, whoo, rattles my cage a tad, and I've noticed a pattern. There are those times a small voice kind of catches me. And so you look past, in your past, and you see, well, here's some negative experiences that tempted me, and I actually got out of God's will. The truth of it is, every one of us, we're honest, there have been times we've been out of God's will. And most of us say, thank the Lord, it wasn't so bad that it disqualified me, that, I, that God put me on the shelf. Some of you have been put on a shelf for a period of time. And you look back and say, it was so logical, so not, but you had a defeat spiritually. You did the wrong thing, even if it was the best intentions. intentions and you say, you know what? I'm going to have to change. And you have some great past victories as well. If a window of opportunity appears, don't pull down the shade, Tom Peter says. And I think we often do that. Oh, man, I've got too many things happening here. Can I, I want to just say this to all of us. There is a good, healthy, spiritual pride in a positive way for our church. We're at the 120th anniversary this year, but be careful. Don't make the dirt of Breckenridge County an idol. God loves the world of people. The only thing I have to be concerned with and you have to be concerned with 
is this God's perfect will. And being in a place a long time, my friend George Sweet said this once after serving with, uh, in Virginia all those years, over two decades, oh, about 15 years in, he said, David, I'm cautioning you here, staying in one place a long time can also be an atom, a part of pride. Well, I thought that was ludicrous. I thought, look, it's an exception a person go one place and stay a long time. And, and he said, let's talk about that. And he, being one of the closest friends at the time, and iron sharpening iron, that's when I started my vigil every January. I'm already starting today. 30 days every month in January, I take inventory of my 10-year goals, my spiritual walk. I list all the people that are in my life. It's, it's to some degree, it's a little bit morbid. On the other hand, it's one of the most thrilling things I do in my life because it, it, it is a time of, a, of looking honestly into the mirror of the Word of God and saying, God, am I in your will? Number three, new beginnings come with a price. What is that price? That's why a lot of people sin. It'd be like Paul and Barnabas saying, hey, I know there's spiritual language and we're right in the middle of worship and everybody seems to say we should go. But Barnabas and I, we talked this thing through and quite frankly, what I'm going to do is mentor a few others. In fact, I already have several. You see these five on the list? Three of the other guys other than Paul and Barnabas, we'd say these two guys are be more logical than us. I mean, virtually anybody can do what they're about to do, but very few people can do what Paul and Barnabas and I are doing. And our leadership competencies, our interests, we have the heart of the people. People are following us. It's so logical. And so what could have easily happened in that environment, by the way, I'm not trying to give, add to the Scripture. I don't know. The Bible doesn't record. I can give you a, an overview of the entire Scripture itself, starting in the Garden of Eden all the way through John and the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, and tell you that the Bible is basically a book filled with stories of people who had beginnings and endings. And we must recognize that often as you study those people, that one of the prices you pay when you close a door and open a new door, no matter what your age, it's lonely. That's why a lot of people, quite frankly, they circumvent the Spirit of God and they settle for a brand, a brand of institutional Christianity. They no longer walk in the Spirit and quite frankly, I think our churches, our churches are filled with men and women who are religious, who are born again, going to heaven, but they've settled in for something less than the supernatural. Why? Because they were confronted with the possibility, I'm going to be alone. And I don't like being alone. I'll be frank with you. This is uh, one of the things uh, in my experience of being a counselor, not only family counseling, but individual counseling. It's one of the greatest fears that people have, being alone. So fearful of that, they fill their life with stuff and music and experience and people and relationship that they don't know what to do when they are alone. And often entrances and exits, new beginnings, come right in the environment of aloneness. And also it's a time of risk and vulnerability. Boy, if there was ever a time, I mean, you're full of yourself because you've worked this job for X amount of years. You've had these relationships for decades, and uh, you know where the stores are and the people are. If your car breaks down, one phone call. I'm telling you, I'm still having trouble finding a mechanic. Now, I'll probably get emails and texts and tweets saying, oh, let me give you the advice of someone. But, you know, when you relocate, 
There's a lot of things you have to adjust. And, and all of a sudden now, I mean, I, I, I go to send and say, send this, show me how to operate that machine. I mean, it's embarrassing. You know what I'm talking about? And so when God closes a door and opens another door, you find yourself in a position of being very vulnerable. And I don't like being alone. I don't like being vulnerable. So guess what? I think I'm just going to stay in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas might say. I'm wanting to prepare you, congregation, for some changes this year. Now that might sound, well, is a preacher getting political on me? I'm not getting political on you. I'm just saying take an honest look at the scriptures of the people that make up the scriptures. Do an honest read of their life. And though we glamorize it since we've been telling even our children these Bible stories, go back and review and and, and relook and you'll see that the men and women that God raised up, that in their life's journey there was a multiplicity of exits and entrances. And so based upon that, I would say, just like many of you just raised your hand, and hopefully the meeting after this meeting, when you're in the car going home celebrating, you say, what do you think of the preacher? What do you think about that sermon today? You know, well, I don't like the way he dressed or this or that. He's a little confrontational. Like, he's a bald-headed fat man. There's things that I'd sooner look at, a, you know, all those things you say. But I would challenge you to rethink the basic thought and the intent of the message from the Word of God. Where are you in the issue of... Entrances and exits. We must embrace pain and burn it as fuel for our journey, one poet said. Winston Churchill said that hell is the knowledge of opportunity lost. The place where the man I am comes face to face with the man I might have been. Hell is the knowledge of opportunity lost. The place where the man I am comes face to face with the man I might have been. These are individuals that want to stay in Jerusalem. Not launch out into these unknown missions trips. Later we know they're documented, three of them, a benevolent trip. And some even suggest a fourth mission trip. And all the other things that Paul and Barnabas, in fact, not long after this, Paul continues his notable celebrity status and Barnabas goes off into obscurity. I'm not one, as some theologians, to condemn that Watman's meant Paul got, I mean, Barnabas got out of God's will. We don't have that stated anywhere. In fact, my observation is often God will close a door that at that moment, some of you, that's why you live in regrets. I'm looking at you right now and I talk like this and you remember our life used to be this and used to be that and you had this and there was a little glamour and romance there. But you've developed a level, even the quote I just gave you, immediately equate that quote with, but here I am, I've, I've got so many failed uh, um, successes of my past. And you live, some of you, you deal with real depression. Well, the preacher's coming to give you a wake-up call. Doors closing, there's breath in your lungs, start a new journey. There's still some mountains to climb and oceans to swim. Victories to obtain, yes, and even defeats to experience. And then number four, new beginnings are the door to to the divine.
Don't you love Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7? Several messages ago, I preached an entire sermon on this, on decision-making in the will of God, but it's applicable here as well. What are you doing on retirement? Many of you in this room are retired. Do you think there's new adventures potentially out there for you? Of course there is. Maybe new adventures that other wouldn't call new, but for you they are. Some of you don't know it. You're going to go through a job change this year. And you're going to go through it picking, screaming, yelling. Sharon, you're listening up there? Because she gave a testimony. She's got a permanent job and she's doing her in-service training. Praise the Lord. But what a tough year this was for her and many others. Then you look back two or three years ago and say, you know what? Isn't it fascinating that though I resisted, I still love the Lord, but I resisted, complained, and felt like a victim... God was using a job relocation, maybe if nothing else, to bring you right up near to a sinner that needed to hear the gospel from you and only you. I'm glad to one that Schlafly didn't take an early retirement. And she was there at second period English class to give me as a 17-year-old the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to discover that those entrances and exits were often God's supernatural involvement into your life. And by the way, Let's do this together. Here's what often happens. When a person is making a transition, we get into Job's wife and the friends mode. We become resident experts, spiritual and otherwise, advising someone else who's about to make a journey, exit, and a new entrance. And if you're not careful with the best intentions like Simon Peter, who said to Jesus, don't go to the cross, Jesus spun and said, get thee behind me, Satan. I want to be guilty of being an encouragement to everyone that God is exiting and moving you to a new open door of victory and experience in His perfect will. In other words, I'm pretty excited about the new year and I don't need some ball dropping in the Times Square in New York City to get me pumped. The truth of it is, for the believer, every day ought to be exciting and we ought to be taking a look, especially in a 12-month journey. And so I take a look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. I got the part of me, I memorized this out of the King James. Most of my Bible memory is from there, my early formation days. Even today I have trouble going into the translation. But if you know this is the King James translation, or your own translation, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. In all your way acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Act. How about that? As we look at this in divine intervention, acknowledge, A, acknowledge God's presence, direction, and protection. I've admitted to the Lord in preparation for this message again. I think I'm entering into one of those unusual periods in my life. Maybe it's always been like this. I just wasn't as in tune and spiritual as I was. If Newt Gidrich can run for president at, what, 68 I'm 59 and still a young man. In fact, many of you, thank you very much. At your age, call me young. I feel very good about that. Keep doing it, by the way. It makes me happy. But at this point, I wonder what dreams and schemes God has for Corinth Baptist Church. Of course, we're grateful for the shoulders on whom we stand, those who have invested in the past, that paid for the pews and built the sanctuary. 
brother, and, and during those times, we got guests in here, the long-standing members who invested in the very structure of this building. Thank you very much. For those of us who never spent their tithe or offerings in this place, we stand on your shoulders. So I want to be mindful of that. But I do a disservice to that group that left Cloverport Baptist and that, that um, furniture maker who invested in the church plant over by Jolly Station 119 plus years ago to launch a ministry that would reach people and exalt Jesus Christ. I want that action. Don't you? Don't you want to be a part of a church? It's a God-honoring church. Next week I start a series on the purpose-driven church. Because I've had some folks that and there is kind of a, a little bit of a law. I'm not trying to stir up things or whatever. But you know, on the other hand, I guess I am. Is that, isn't it time that we actually look and say, God, what kind of schemes and dreams do you have for us? There are people to hear the gospel. Christ is to be exalted. A world to be reached. And this could be the year that Jesus comes. This could be my last sermon. This could be our last year. You don't measure a person... Whether the UK, U of L, don't mean to get sensitive here. And watching that game, uh, my team won, by the way, uh, all the fouls and all those things. See, I just alien them. We'll split the church over that one. But you know what? You don't judge that by all those games. It's the last minute of the game. Usually the last two minutes of any game. It's how you measure a team. Anybody can do well most of it, but can you close it? I don't know when our last year, our last month, our last week, our last day at Corinth Baptist Church is, but I want you to know that I like to think that our very last will be our best. You called a pastor, and I reflect you, by the way. Okay, And I also am causative. I'm also leading, but I also reflect what you were looking for, what you thought you were looking for. And guess what? I sense in this church... Vision, dreaming, scheming, accomplishing the supernatural, stepping out of the boat, walking on the water, doing the unusual, not for the sake of the unusual, but for the glory of God. Amen? And so, we acknowledge God's presence when we trust in the Lord. If we're going to close the door and open a new one. And the second is, we see, A, C, we commit to His Lordship and submission to His leadership. Look, I'm still talking to the, the slowest people I've ever met in my life. The biggest adjustment God's taught me self-control and patience. Builders that we've talked with and folks who are talking, well, we're still ultimately going to take the time and bring you information of, of an expansion. But take, be, it's okay. What it really boils down to is I've, I've got a few people who are guests with us today. And I tell people, come in. They start um, thinking, well, we're, maybe we're checking out a church. We're just here visiting with a relative. I always tell you what I tell them. The whole issue is God's will. Because guess what? At this church, you've got imperfect people. If you're coming to this church because you think we don't have the problems here, here, shake my hand. You're going to meet problem number one. All of us are sinners. We've been redeemed, glory to God. But I don't mind bragging to other churches right here within uh, where I stand. There are churches that are, that are advancing the kingdom here. They're not my competition. They're my co-workers. Amen? And so there's plenty of nuts for every bolt. This church can't reach everybody. We need some of those odd personalities. And they would look at us, our oddness that we have over here. You know we got some people call us liberal because nine times out of ten we don't wear suits and ties in this church. I just put on a suit and tie today just to be ornery. Quite frankly. 
Because I have some people won't like it, and I've got even a few people in mind, they're going to whatever. I have a few of you that said, well, it's about time we finally dress this thing up. The whole issue is not my suit and tie, it's the, the souls of men and women, boys and girls. Amen? And so we acknowledge God's presence, and at the same point, see, we commit to His Lordship. It's all about the Lord, it's not about me. And then finally, we thank Him in advance for His perfect love directed toward us. God brings men into deep waters not to drown them, but to cleanse them, John Augury said. And this is going to be the year for Dave and Becky Adams and for my adult children and grandchildren, for new friends I've met. We had some visitors. Thank you so much, by the way. Last week we had one combined service. It was a sweet service. We had visitors Becky and I have been praying for and working on the whole time since the interim showed up, walked through those doors back there, sat and heard the word. It's the only service they've been to in the year. It may be another year since they come. But you were just yourselves. And it was a sweet service. And they, when I walked up and met them in their place of business, out loud, with other people listening, this lost person is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and His people. And so this year will be the year of new beginnings for Corinth Baptist Church. How can I say that? Because a church is made up of individual members. I'm going to do a few more funerals. A few more weddings. I dress like this for weddings and for funerals. 1984, I was invited to Washington, D.C., one among so many, to meet and interact with a Republican candidate for president by the name of Ronald Reagan. I promise you I didn't wear T-shirts and flip-flops. And there are those moments and occasions where we suit up anticipating doors closing and doors opening. Now, you don't have to do it with your dress. But some of you need a wake-up call. Don't walk and live in fear. Now, some of our journeys this year might be terrible, hideous. Becky and I accepted the call to this church before we decided to be your pastor, at least being peace of mind. Did we feel good about this being our church? That if my wife got cancer, would there be a church that would surround us? If God took me and you find myself being planted in a property and I'm in the presence of the Lord, who will take care of my sweet wife? At least be a church where she be loved and supported. When my children all realign with the Lord and some move here, would this be the place that they would find acceptance and love? Thank you for loving my biracial grandchildren. That was a key point for me, by the way, in coming here. We don't have much minorities in this room, but when little Anthony shows up, Geasia, two of the three are obviously biracial. You love them. Please don't stop doing that. Be a church that loves Jesus more than you love your past tradition. Be a church that wants to exalt His name more than worry about protecting your heritage. And I promise you this, we'll ride this journey together. For some, I'll be holding your hands and maybe doing your funerals or weddings or praying over a new baby coming. For others... We'll pat you on the back because you got a job promotion. And others enter into a new life. Some are going to take on a Sunday school class or connect group. 
come out of uh, the bleachers and come on on down in the field. And God's prompted you to say, it's time I go to work again. Who in the world do you think you are sitting on the bench? God never called any of you to sit on the bench. And God's going to close that door and open a new door. And who knows that that little fourth grade class that you teach does not have president in that class, the next president of the United States some 35, 40 years down the road. That when asked and he searched his background, he'll have to go to McQuaidy, Kentucky. Like they did with old Abe. Of course, they still debate and all that stuff with his heritage. And they're going to find out, well, what made your world? Who was the outstanding person? And they're going to name you as a teacher that left that door behind you and opened the new door and began a witness for Jesus Christ. So let's close a few doors as the Lord has led us. And let's be receptive to the new doors and new adventures he's going to bring us this year. Our Father, we are so grateful for the way in which you work in our life. For the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares that God, a very God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And that fateful day after 33 years of living on this planet, he freely stretched out his arms and was crucified, shedding his blood for all mankind. And three days later, after being in a borrowed tomb, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, God, a very God, rose from the dead and then empowers us to go forth, to live an abundant life, to be a testimony. And so God, may this year, 2012, be the year of great victory and accomplishment for Corinth Baptist Church because its members have freely embraced the new opening of doors for each of them. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Ralph comes to lead us in an invitation song.